Hello and welcome to the Force 5 Podcast. I am your host, ex-video store clerk, undiscovered screenwriter, and fellow listener, Jason Kleberg. And today is an episode that I've been looking forward to, but also kind of agonizing over for the last couple months because I think everybody loves a good year-end recap, but also, on the other hand, you, you want to get it right. And last year I did the show solo, which was a lot of fun, but this year I wanted to get other perspectives on the show, and who better to join me to talk about the top five movies of 2022 than somebody who's probably seen every movie that came out in 2022, a literal cinematic Greg Sersavasti. How are you, Greg? Hi, uh, Jason. Thank you so much for that intro, and I'm gonna, going to submarine that wonderful intro by saying <laughs> I have a... When we go over our top five, you will be either pleasantly surprised or very irritated regarding my choices, and you may want to go solo again by the end of the year. We'll see if I set a very bad precedent with this new uh, situation for this year. So we'll see if I if I do a good enough job for you to want someone else towards the end of the year. So so it's going to go two ways, I feel like. It, either I'm going to be so impressed that you're the yearly guest for this show, or I'm just going to be going back to solo. So I guess it's all really up to you. <laughs> Well, you know, you've you've had Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes, my my buddies over at uh, I don't even know what's the, what's the name of the podcast, Cinematics or Find Your Film. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> they've set that precedent, so I I'm surprised you actually invited me back after my appearance last time, and then after Bruce and Eric uh, dragging you down, Jason, all your your movie knowledge. So I'm I'm glad to be here. Let's just say that. Well, longtime listeners will remember that Greg recorded with me twice, actually. Unfortunately, they were both on episode 63 in 2021 because uh, I recorded half of that show without pressing record. We just had a really good conversation. Yeah. Uh, that was top five <laughs> underrated films. And uh, I've kept in touch with Greg ever since. You probably hear the name cinematics on every show because I spend a lot of time on the Facebook page and when I uh, do fan interactions and stuff like that, I, I do a lot of stuff on cinematics. Thank you, by the way. I love the, the page, obviously, and I love all the people there. How are yeah. things going in the cinematics world? Well, I, I have to do the program most of the time with Bruce Porky and Eric Holmes. So, Jason, you know them very personally. You've had them on your show. They're your friends. So, you know, I guess with them at my side, I... I'm pretty depressed, so <laughs> no, but they, they're actually just like both of us. They're huge cinephiles, and it's great to actually have company on a given week to just bounce off ideas from, and it's just been great on cinematics. Just I actually had they were actually on the Find Your Film podcast initially, but then the last several months they moved over to cinematics because we want to really cover weekly films on that particular podcast. As you know, Anderson Cowan is there just once a month, so Bruce and Eric have been doing, doing a great job, but... This goes back to what we're going to be talking about with best films of the year, surprises, etc. There's the, a lot of the stuff. I don't know if you listen to our Find Your Film podcast or Cinematics or any of that stuff, Jason, but we cover different kind of films. So the, there's going to be a very interesting selection. I, I, I'm doing a little bit of a teaser on your own program. So hopefully you, your listeners will get some added value. That They're not going to hear a lot of the same kind of things that best ofs uh so I, I think I'm going to do a good job. So, yes. I do listen to your show. I love your show. I actually just got a copy of Baby Ruby that I'm looking forward to diving into because of the recommendation on your show. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I, I know. I loved it. I loved it. Oh, Jace, J because, Jason, you, you know how much I really enjoyed that movie. And I, 
Wow. Okay. I, a lot of pressure now. Now I'm nervous for, <laughs> for this episode, Jason. Thank you for that. Well, you like Baby Ruby and, and Bruce gave a different perspective on it, which I think is a, a great aspect of having three people on your show every week is that uh, Bruce has the macabre humor that right. I, I think would really appeal to me. So it was actually his recommendation that, that put me over the edge. Um, so yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. He has a very dark, dark humor. I don't know if you're, so you're attuned to that type of humor as well, Jason. I am. Yeah, I am. <laughs> so you've also got a, a YouTube channel right now that, that, uh, we want some people to join as well. Correct. Right. You know, it's weird because there's a channel I've had for the, since 2014 with, it's called the deep, the deepest dream YouTube channel. And mm -hmm. lately what's weird, I don't know, Jason, if you've ever pivoted in your life, whether it be career or passions and whatnot. So that channel just within YouTube metrics, it's monetized. I'm making money off of it. But the last several days, you asked me what's going on with cinematics. I've had this sort of mini Jerry Maguire moment where I just wanted to sort of just tear everything down. And I just started up a new YouTube channel called Find Your Films, and it will just have mainly cinematics and find your film content. I wanted to filter out a lot of stuff because Deepest Dream is mainly a, a broad channel. I wanted to start with zero subscribers. Now there's only 20, which is great. I'm, I'll take the 20. But I think with like what you do with Force 5 is you really want to make it value added for your listeners. And I want to make sure that this new channel, Find Your Films, will have just... You know, trying to search for movies that are, are sort of undiscovered gems or underrated films and just put it all on one channel and make it really film-centric, which is kind of like what your podcast is. So I think a lot of changes within the last couple of days. And it's like, you know, it's great to have, we've, we've talked about having a, a community of cinephiles. It's great to have support, whether you're, they're your co-hosts or collabor collaborators or fellow podcasters. I think that's one of the reasons why we love doing what we do. And if you want to join this community, you should get into the Cinematics Facebook group and, uh, you know, all good people just talking movies all the time. A lot of fun stuff going on there. Plus, Greg does uh, Blu-ray giveaways as well. So, yeah. like, what do you have to lose? Come, Maybe get a free movie. I, Jason, I just want to do a little, uh, since I, I'm sort of an interviewer myself, I wanted to turn the tables to you. How much oh. research do you have to do every single week when it comes to a different guest? Because you're researching their podcast or their book or their film is it sort of almost like double duty when you have, you talked about going solo on the, that's a lot of research on the year end stuff. But when you have guests, is it kind of like double research for you? Sometimes, sometimes, uh, you know, I, I do like to come to my shows prepared. Uh, for example, I, I got to know how to say people's names. That's like the, the bare <laughs> minimum. So I'll go through and I'll, I'll watch other interviews that they've had so I can get the name right at least. And then through that interview, I'll learn other things about them and just kind of like build my research there. When I think about interviewing skills, have you ever seen the show Hot Ones on YouTube? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Sean Evans is one of my favorite interviewers. And I think one of the things that makes his show so great is the amount of research that they do. So I, I do like to, I don't, I don't put as much time into it as they do, but I do like to be prepared. Yeah, it's great. And you have so many different guests. So it, I think that's what makes your show really strong. So well, I'm sure yours, yours is the same way when you interview people like Ryan Phillippe or different directors that come on to your show, because you have interviews as well on your uh, cinematics feed. Yeah. Yeah, we, we, I, I think that's the best part. One of the best parts of what we do, we get to, you and I, we both get to see a lot of movies and we also get to know a lot of people during, I don't know about you, this is getting, before we get to your thing, too deep. But by the end of the day, when we're talking with people, I just, 
I can go. I can go watch my basketball game, Jason. You have to go back to your 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 family, <laughs> your writing career, so many other things. So I I have the edge at being a complete uh, couch potato, which you can't be these days. So <laughs> I can't. I try my best, but I can't. <laughs> but I have I have got a cool a lot of cool uh, connections throughout. You know, I've been trading movie recommendations with a director who's going to be on the show next week for oh, the great. last month, and uh, it's it's been really fun. Yeah. Well, Greg, yes. let's talk about the, the films of 2022. We're going to go through our top five films. And then like last year, I've also got some superlative categories like top performances, biggest disappointment, and other just a bunch of categories that I've blatantly ripped off from other shows. Jason, that, that's not, a, that's not ripping off. That's called an homage. You're oh, a you, come from the, you come from the school of Tarantino as well, I see. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Yeah, and then uh, we're gonna we're also gonna touch on the five worst films we saw this year. We're not gonna spend so much time on that because I don't like to dwell on the bad stuff. But yeah. this episode is gonna be juicy as we reflect back on the year that was 2022. So, Greg from Cinematics, are you ready to get into this list? I am totally excited and ready to get into the list. Yes. You know what's gonna happen? You know what's happening here right now? I know what's gonna happen. What? You just made the list. Top five films of 2022. Before we get into our, our five here, overall, how did you feel about 2022 as a year for movies? I thought it was an absolutely wonderful year for movies. I, I, I'm trying to remember how it was within previous years, but I know just as a standalone, I missed 2022, not because I'm wistful, but because I know there was an overload of excellent mm-hmm. films out there. A lot of them, which I didn't see, and a lot of them, which I did, which are really obscure as well. So do, do you agree with this, that it was a really strong year? Or do you think it was just the, the blinding of so much content that it seduced us into believing it was a great year? So I, I kind of came out of 2022 thinking, all right, was that a great year for movies? Or did it just seem great because of the last two years of COVID where movies really kind of took a dive in my opinion but i honestly think that 2022 was a great year for movies and as we get into our top five list you know i'll have some room at the end for honorable mentions and there were so many honorable mentions that that i could have put on my top five list that could have made it yeah i thought it was a great year that's great great uh do you track like how many movies you see a year i am so disorganized i have a letterboxd account Bruce does Bruce Perky does such a great job every single time he watches a movie. I think every time he looks at a movie he'll he'll put it on his diary entry for letterbox. <laughs> I am still probably 2 years behind. I'll mark a, a movie per month when I actually have seen maybe 35 or 40. I think Jason you're probably very pretty much concentrated on putting as many entries as possible and you're accurate on your letter letterbox account. I'm assuming. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty accurate. I didn't count how many films I saw, but I'm sure it's not as much as as you, Bruce, or Eric saw. Yeah, so I, I need to be more organized there. But yeah, I, I think sometimes what I'll do is when I look at the movies, I've trying to remember the movies I saw from the previous year, I'll just go to Bruce Perkins' box <laughs> account because as you know, we just parrot each other's stuff except Bruce watches more. Yeah. But I think Letterbox is a good... I'm just... You know, uh, this is uh, one of the categories we're going to be talking about. I think one of the many surprises of last year on a social media exposure level was the the absolute rise of Letterboxd as, as pretty much a power 
a powerhouse. So that was a, a big surprise. I I always thought it would be for people like me and you, and we would just have our little secret little app or or website to talk about for years on end. But no, it's it blew up. Yeah, kind of everybody's got one. My wife has one. Uh, yeah. We made one for my son, and we track the movies that he watches so that when he gets older, <laughs> he'll know what he saw and when. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's a great idea with the son. Yeah, I mean, you know, you never know. He's he's not going to remember these things, so we kind of ask him his thoughts on it and jot them down, and yeah, he'll have that for later. Yeah. One more question before we get in. This uh, this episode, for me, is like, it's this is the F5 Oscars here. The Oscar nominations are out now. How do you feel about the Oscar nominations? Do you feel like they got it right? Do you feel like there's some huge snubs? Jason, I'm going to be honest with you, okay? I've been part of the Critics' Choice Association since its inception. So every mm-hmm. single year I've been actually, I mean this in the best way, I've been force-fed movies, and I sound like a conspiracy theorist, theorist by here, right here, but I've been given first VHS box sets and, not, and then eventually DVDs and free stuff and all that stuff. It comes, and I'm not complaining, but what happens now at my age after almost 30 years of doing this, of being in that organization, is a lot of times... I try to go the other way and I ignore some of the top movies or Oscars. So a lot of times I honestly, I are you a huge fan of the Oscars or are you as a little bit bitter about the Oscars as much as I am? Because over the years, I like to, I always feel about, I always feel bad about the movies that are ignored. Like for example, yeah, St. Omer, I, I wanted that to be one of the top foreign films, uh, Oscar-nominated foreign films or international film, however you say it, and it's not there. So I'm, I'm more about that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I hardly ever watch the Oscars now. I used to. We used to do like an Oscars party. We would have the, uh, the guessing sheets and all that stuff. But over the years, I realized, I, st- I started to realize that the Oscars just weren't made for, for me and my tastes. They largely ignore horror movies, which are deserved of a lot of these categories, and they just get left out. Uh, and that that kind of stuff really took its toll on me. And so I have pretty much just stopped watching the Oscars altogether. I will say this, though, just as a Gen X Asian American, the idea of selfishly on my end of everything everywhere all at once receiving mm-hmm. 11 nods, Oscar nods is just extremely huge. And I mean, look, Top Gun Maverick, not an underdog, but I... That was the best time I. That was the best time I had last year. And sure. I know some people will probably scoff at me at that, but hey, it reminded me of just Joseph Kaczynski doing his best. We're talking about, about homage, Tony Scott homage, and I. And as you know, we love we love Tony Scott movies. So, so there were a couple of things that the Oscars, in my opinion, got right. So, well, what were you the happiest as far as positive ends regarding Oscar nominations? You know, I th- I think everything everywhere all at once was probably the one I was most happy about. It's a strange movie to see nominated for. I think it was nominated for like eleven Oscars. Yeah, it has led by far in terms of how many nominations it has, and I was super excited about that. And um, Ki Hui Kwan, he he had an amazing performance, and it was great to see him winning awards left and right for that. And I, I really hope he wins Best Actor there. Or be, it would be Best Supporting Actor, I think, that he's nominated for. But he should be Best Actor, right? 
Right. He, he, I, I think he should be Best Actor, but I'm, I, I'll take that nomination. I'm very glad that, <laughs> that he, the supporting actor, he, he did receive a nomination. I think also uh, the big com- one of the big complaints this year regarding the Oscars was I felt it was a little bit punching down on the Andrea Riseborough nomination sure. for Two Leslie. Yeah. Look, let's, let's sniff out that indie film which may have crossed the lines regarding... It, trying to actually generate some kind of grassroots support from people in the community and whether, I don't know, it's just one of these things where it's a movie that barely made any money and that's why Oscars are there for small films to get a higher profile. And unfortunately, Leslie will get a higher profile in celebrate, not in celebration of Riseborough's performance. I still haven't seen it. I've seen everything else she was in last year and I loved all of her performances, but it was just... It left a real bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, same here. And it's strange. It's like uh, people are mad because they lobbied for Andrea Riseborough. Andrea Riseborough. Andrea Riseborough, yes, yeah. Yeah, the, you know, people were lobbying for her online and, and people were mad about it. And at the same time, it's like, how do you think any of these films get nominated for Oscars? There's lobbying all over the place. It's just most of the time it's not on Twitter, you know? Yeah. It's taking people to dinner and and uh, whining and dining and sending those elaborate Blu-ray packages and, and swag packages like you mentioned. And that's all under the quote-unquote umbrella, right? <laughs> swag. Mm-hmm. That's all and, under that marketing umbrella. And this little thing, we just let's, let's invite people to a dinner party who we, people may know each other. Oh, now we're going to get you. So it's... Exactly. Yeah. All right, Greg, uh, how many crossover picks do you think we'll have here? Zero. I, I think, I believe we're... Go- well, look... I think we're going to have one. What do you think? Uh, I was going to say one as well. Yeah, I think we'll have one. Okay. Who goes first? Well, you're you're the guest, so I will leave it in your hands. Do you want me to go first, or do you want to kick us off here? I think I'll kick, kick everything off, and you might get a taste of what's going to be in my, my top five. All right, Greg Sursavasti, number five on your top five films of 2022. Well, Jason, you and I both share, we're both kindred spirits in the fact that we both love genre-fied movies. Okay, mm-hmm. and there's this movie called Holy Spider, which when it was released blew me away. And months later, I am still completely mesmerized by that film, the, the lead performance, the absolute grit and grind and dirt and just the absolute story of Holy Spider. I don't know if you've heard about it. It centers on this journalist, female journalist. She goes to the city of Mashhad and she's investigating the killings of sex workers and she's an Iranian journalist, and she's looking for this killer called the Spider Killer. And I was, I was surprised at how far it went regarding the hunting and killing of the sex workers, the determination of that journalist who, in trying to find that killer, even at the expense of possibly her own life. I, it's a movie that's stayed with me, has stayed with me ever since watching it. So I can't wait to see it again. Holy Spider is a, uh, a film that I learned about from your show, and I have not yet been able to see it, but I, I really am looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, it's one of these movies I feel we're talking about to Leslie and how it's get, getting a lot of attention in a bad way, but also in a good way. Hopefully that nomination it will prove, will help with that with the box office on that, or at least the home box office, home entertainment and stuff. But I think Holy Spider is really a, a movie, unless you're cinephiles like us, it's going to keep being buried un- until it gets a huge, some kind of streaming release. And when it does, it's going to, I think it's going to really have a grand swell of support. 
All right, so that's Holy Spider at number five. All right. Greg, my number five, if I was to give my number five uh, a star rating, I'd give it three stars, okay? Oh, wow, I love it. But that's three Michelin stars because I'm talking <laughs> about the menu. <laughs> okay, wow. Is that gonna fit everyone? Ah, easily, 12 customers total. How do they turn a profit? 12.50 a head, that's how. What are we eating, a Rolex? It's one of his classics. You have to try the mouthfeel of the mignonette. Please don't say mouthfeel. Tonight will be madness. Welcome. We'll endeavor to make your evening as pleasant as possible. Welcome to Hawthorne. Here we are family. Yes, we harvest, we ferment, we gel. They gel. We gel. This is a movie about a, a couple who travels to a uh, coastal island to eat at an exclusive restaurant where the chef has prepared a lavish menu with some shocking surprises and an elaborate theme. Look, it's your number five, but my question to you is, there are some people who really love it, but then there are, are just, I think, a small minority who really did not glom onto the menu. They just felt disappointed by it. Do you, do you get an idea why? Yeah, I think it's, um, n number one, it's hard to classify this film. Like if you were to ask me what genre I'd put this in, it's really tough to say. And I think the other part of it is that there are some, I guess you'd call them not really plot holes, but plot absurdities. And I think that that's by design. This doesn't feel like it, like it's taking place in real life. It feels like it's taking place in some alternate universe, which I think is... I think that's part of it, but I love this movie and I think it has a lot to say about criticism and specifically the types of critics. And they're not just food critics, they're universal archetypes. So for example, Janet McTeer is in here and she's playing the, uh, she's playing the food critic. Who's like a bad review by her will break your restaurant. Like your restaurant will go out of business if she gives it a bad review. And to me, that feels like the Ebert or the Pauline Kale of movies where, you know, if Ebert gave your movie a bad review, then you would lose a lot of viewers in theaters. And then you have your Nicholas Holt character who plays this this uh, guy who has all these fancy appliances at home. And he feels like since he has these things at home, he could probably make the food that this chef is making. He's the uh, he's the armchair quarterback. He's the one where, you know, the Internet critic who's like, oh, I could have directed that scene better or I could have written that script better for movies. And then there's a couple that eats there all the time. The the person who sees every movie, the Greg Sersavastis of the world. <laughs> right. It's also very funny. Like there's some real funny stuff and oh, the acting is fantastic. Yeah. Ray Fiennes is great as the head chef. Nicholas Holt and Anya Taylor-Joy are there as the main couple and their relationship is really interesting because it's not what you think it is when the movie first kicks off and if you watch it a second time you really pick up on all that stuff. John Leguizamo's in there as like a side yeah. character. Great role for him too. There's this group of tech bros at this table. Just outstanding. So yeah, I love the menu. I'd be interested to know what you think about it when you do watch it. I'll definitely check it out after your, your recommendation. Yeah, I remember interviewing Anya Taylor-Joy for a press junket years back for The Witch and just realizing oh. at the table, I go, this is this person's going to be a star. 
a lot of times I'm wrong, but just because of her performance, I, I think it, you don't have to interview her to know that. You just had to watch her work in The Witch and realize she's going to go far. All right. Number four for you, Greg. Number four. This is everything, everywhere, all at once. This is Wang. This is Wang. Mrs. Wang, are you with us? I am paying attention. Now, you may only see a pile of receipts, but I see a story. I can see where this story is going. It does not look good. of from another universe. I'm here because we need your help. Very busy today. Uh, no time to help you. I think echoing what you were saying regarding it's, you don't know what genre the menu is going to be. It could be in so many different things. This is one of the things where it could be a best comedy, best action movie, best drama, maybe possibly best coming of age story, best time travel sci-fi story. I don't know. It's uh, so many different things. So I think... Because it's everything, everywhere, all at once as a story, I I just was blown away by it. And it's one of those things that I think merits repeated viewings to really fully appreciate it. I've only seen it once, but was absolutely blown away by the writing, the editing, and the overall theme of the movie and its execution. So that's my number four. I have thoughts about this, but I will save my thoughts for a little <laughs> bit later. <laughs> okay, very good. Normally, when I do these shows, I'll I'll like shift around to to match up with my guests. But I think that your top five of 2022, they kind of need to be where they are, you know. So oh, I'll talk about yeah. that when when we get to it. My number four is probably my most obscure movie on my list. It's one that I just watched recently, and I just had an absolute blast with this. It's a movie called Deadstream. This is Sean Ruddy coming to you live from Death Manor. For seven years now, you have watched me face my fears for your entertainment. There is one fear that I haven't yet faced. I will be spending one night alone in a haunted house. Don't forget to smash that like button, smash that subscribe button, and follow me on Livid. This is the most haunted house in the United States. Death Manor was built in 1880. Mildred lived here for eight years in this house. She hung herself at the end of this hall. Tonight, we're gonna be monitoring three rooms, all of which have actual documented paranormal activity. I hope you all appreciate the public service I'm doing by being here. Are you still with what's her name? No, shh, we're here. Oh, come on, that doesn't even look real. I'm not falling for this Photoshop hack job. Are you uh, familiar? Yes, I've heard so many. Well, it's not found footage, but it's an indie film. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. It's on streaming on Shutter, I believe, right? It is. It's on Shutter. Yep. Okay. Deadstream is about this disgraced YouTuber who is attempting to win back his followers by live streaming one night alone in a haunted house. But while he's there, he accidentally pisses off an actual spirit and his big <laughs> comeback event becomes a real time fight for his life. So you mentioned found footage. This is found footage and it's done in a very inventive way. Uh, like the movie starts off 
the first five minutes setting up this movie is a YouTube video. It's like shot like a YouTube video. It's got the dumb overlays that some YouTubers have. <laughs> it's just a real great glimpse into who this guy is. He's a real like douchey YouTuber. And then as he gets to the house, everything is filmed with GoPros that he's setting up. So like he has the GoPro in front of him. He has the GoPro that he's wearing on his head. And then he goes into every room and he's just setting these GoPros up in the corners. And then he's also got this tablet that he uses to interact with fans. And so you see that overlay coming up as well. But yeah. there are great <laughs> scenes where like the ghosts can be seen in the camera, but they can't be seen by him. So he's he's in the hallway and he's got the tablet and you can see the ghost on the tablet and you can see him walking in the hallway, but you can't see it from the other view. It's amazing. It's a great way to do found footage. And it's a great way to do a COVID film because there's only like, three or four actors in this movie and uh it doesn't even feel like a covid film it's directed by and stars joseph winter who i think he and his wife who wrote this movie are going to be huge at some point the, the best way i could compare it i sent it to a friend of mine i said it's like a mix between the blair witch project and evil dead it's got like the comedy of evil dead with the horror and the the, the found footage stuff of blair witch I'm so glad this is actually on your top five. Were you surprised at how high Deadstream made it on your top five? Because, you know, there is so sort of this requisite top five that everyone has. And I do get a little bit annoyed when people have the same thing, unless maybe, of course, organically, if they feel that's their top five. But I, I feel like this is a very organic choice. Do you know what I mean? Or are you surprised yeah. by yeah, its place in your top five? As we'll get to in the honorable mentions, there were a, a bunch of movies that I could have put in this spot, but Deadstream's the one that I had the most fun with. I watched it by myself because my wife doesn't like horror movies, so I watched this when, when she and the kiddo were out. And yeah. it takes a lot for me to laugh out loud at a movie. Like, you know, when I'm by myself, I'll snicker to myself or like I'll smile or whatever. But this movie had me literally laughing and it, at the absurdity because... Joseph Winter does such an amazing job as playing this YouTuber who like at first his reactions, you can tell they're just for the likes or they're just for the subscribes. You know, he's like doing his product placement everywhere. He's uh, he's like the way he interacts with fans. It's so funny. And then when stuff starts happening, that's actually scary. It's so funny, just the way he reacts to stuff. He's trying not to die, but at the same time, he's trying not to lose his sponsors. <laughs> so, <laughs> for example, like, instead of swearing, he'll say, like, oh, fudge, when he's, like, almost getting killed because he can't lose his sponsors. That's that's how absurd it is because he's got that YouTube uh, personality thing going. Oh, it's so goddamn funny. I love Deadstream so much, so I'm happy that it's on my list, and I hope that you that you give this a shot. If there's one thing I've learned after this, we're done recording this episode, I've made a note to myself. Jason says, do not make stupid overlays. I, I'm going to say to myself, do not make stupid YouTube overlays on my Canva. So I'll make sure not to do it anymore. So I will definitely check check this out. Deadstream, right? Deadstream, yeah. At number four for me. Number three for me is a movie. I don't, I'm sure you've had this where you watch a movie and you say, well, I really liked it, but I was slightly disappointed. And then that movie... As the days and the weeks progress, it just takes hold of you and you go, okay, well, I have to come back to this because I know it's a much better film than I, than where I left it at emotionally. 
And yeah, that movie is Decision to Leave, oh. directed by Park Chan-wook. Park Chan-wook, or I like to call him just because I'm not very good at pronunciation, Director Park, right? We, I always, I loved his, uh, what is it, the 2018 film, The Handmaiden? Mm-hmm. Really love, I love Stoker. I, I love him as a visualist. We've already talked about how much I love Brian De Palma. I think this guy, it's pretty much on a visual level, an heir apparent to a De Palma or a Hitchcock. And initially I did not, I, I enjoyed Decision to Leave, but I really did not enjoy or like how, how the ending what happened with the ending and how it was structured. But then now, weeks later, I realized I was I was just expecting a different thing. And it's just a masterpiece of a film centering on a police detective who is investigating a man's death from a mountain. And he investigates the man's widow. And in, he's immediately attracted to her. And obviously that attraction, that mutual attraction, supposedly leads to his own clouding of judgment when it comes to this murder case and the way it's done is and executed via the editing the shot composition the music just the overall well let's just say a a big part of the movie there's a lot of waves crashing in and i'm not going to say what part of the movie it's in but that's how i felt with this movie i initially thought it was one thing but then eventually i got swept up swept away by this whole this whole uh, presence by the lead actors and the actress Tang Wei, she's she was previously in Lust Caution, and she's somewhat a a sight to behold, not just visually, but as a charismatic and talented presence. So really, really loved decision to leave. I believe right now it's streaming on Mubi, and I don't know, Jason, if you've seen this as of yet. I have not. I've I was almost dissuaded because again, I I heard some mixed things about it. But your your pick here at number three really does have me intrigued. Yeah, it's. I don't know if you enjoy The Handmaiden or if you've seen that yet, but there's a lot of fractured. I love narratives. that one. Yeah, I think. Well, you or, or even something a guilty pleasure like Stoker. There's a lot of fractured narratives going on. There's a lot of things going beneath the surface, and that's what why some people may it might strike a different note for people who initially are disappointed with decision to leave. But again, it's one of those movies that I think upon a second watch. It gets even more interesting. So I really, it's a really interesting film about, and especially, Jason, you, I'm sure you um, appreciate Hitchcock. This has a lot of that Hitchcockian flair with a little bit of Dr. Park's own thoughts on (laughs) relationships thrown in as well. So really cool stuff. Decision to leave. All right. Decision to leave at number three here for you. Uh, yeah, I got to check it out. I mean, he's he's had to have won my goodwill by now, right, with all the amazing stuff <laughs> right. he's put out. And I think yeah. that Stoker's incredibly underrated. I think Stoker's great. You know why people don't like Stoker or some people may say it is just because the why Deadstream won't be on someone's top three, uh, number three on their top five, because people don't want to say that they actually really love Stoker. But if you're a critic, like one of those people in the menu, you're going to say, oh, well, I liked film A while they go at home. They go home and they're watching Deadstream or Stoker, right? I mean, so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, at my number three, I mentioned it earlier. I had everything everywhere all at once. Um, This one, of course, like you said, directed by the Daniels. And uh, I think... The only things I can add to what you have said already is that the costume design in this is one of the feats of cinema in 2022, in mm. my opinion. 
you have so many elaborate costumes that are only shown for probably less than a second on screen. There are um, sequences in this that are the things that are, dreams are made of. Just incredibly imaginative set pieces, incredibly imaginative uh, scenes. How many movies do you know of that has two rocks talking to each other oh, right, exactly. without sound for five minutes and it's still entertaining? That was weird. That was a <laughs> yeah. weird, incredible moment. I, they... You know, what's that phrase, whole kit and caboodle? It felt like the entire whole kit and caboodle was thrown into this movie, and sometimes it, it doesn't work. And in this case, everything worked about this movie. I absolutely love this movie. Uh, I didn't see it in theaters. I was recommended this by a listener and a Patreon producer of the show, Moose, and he's he's like, you got to watch it. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. You got to watch it. So I got the 4K disc. I threw it in. And when the movie was over, it was one of those rare times where the movie ended and I immediately watched all of the special features on that disc because I just I had to know how these things were done. And amusingly, one of the like the making of documentary is uh, narrated by The Rock uh, in the movie. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I forgot the name of their previous movie, which the corpse film. But I don't know if you you saw. Oh that. yeah, Swiss Army Man. Were you a fan of that movie? Uh, I watched it. I didn't love it. It was it was fine. It was fine. Right. So it's. It, I'm assuming probably if you really love Swiss Army Man, um, you would have probably gotten to see it in the theaters. But it's good that you got it in 4K. So bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we we mentioned Kei Hui Kwan, but Stephanie Hsu is just absolutely amazing as Joy in this movie too. I, I was so happy that she was nominated for an award, along with Jamie Lee Curtis. Like, what a role for her, too. Yeah. Uh, the hot dog fingers, the... Uh, yeah, just so many good things in this movie. It's it's a blast. I don't know. So you've seen it. You you saw the special features. You rifled through it. You didn't see it another, a second time because I only saw it once. I have not seen it a second time. Typically with me, I will wait like six months to a year. I have a... Contrary to popular belief, I have a very bad movie memory. So in six months to a year, I will forget most of the things that happened in this movie. And then I watch it again and I fall in love with it all over again. Okay, very cool. Everything, everywhere, all at once. My number two is a film that you're familiar with because I've been talking about it on the Cinematic Facebook group ad nauseum as well as on the podcast. <laughs> but the movie that Eric Holmes introduced me to, a, a Japanese film called Missing, a.k.a. Sagasu. This is a film that is currently on Blu-ray, and I believe, I don't even know if it's streaming. It's available on VOD and digital. And Jason, these are one of the, this is a movie that is basically invisible to the rest of the world. Maybe parts, I'm sure it has, it made money in Japan, but the fact that this movie, which centers on a girl, a young girl who is trying to search for her missing father, and the last thing she heard from her missing father was he was going to go out and win them some reward money because they're they're in a very big financial straits or impoverished he is on the search for a serial killer and i i, I don't know why there's two serial killer films in my top five <laughs> I, I don't know if that says anything bad about me but so she's searching for a father and supposedly the father is searching for a serial killer so what you have here are two stories side by side one person looking for a missing dad and supposedly the dad looking for that killer and then the stories eventually intertwine. So if you if you like David Fincher, seven kind of flair, 
it, this is a movie that I think r- really hits home. And the ending to Sagasu, aka Missing, is I don't I don't even know how to describe it, but it is what was the most memorable moment for me. Even after all those memorable sequences from Everything Everywhere All at Once, there it's something that happens towards the end of Sagasu that still I will haunt me for the rest of my days. But overall, as a story, I think if you if your listeners love crime dramas or layer multi-layered serial serial killer gritty stuff, then I think Sagasu, aka Missing, will be their cup of tea. I know you and Eric have been talking about this for a while. I have not seen it yet. I am really looking forward to it. I think that's the director's only feature film. So it sounds like he's got a real bright future ahead of him. Yeah. I mean, it's one of these movies that I hope he has a bright future because this is one of those movies where it's one of these things. As much as you and I watch movies, and this goes back to the top five. Look, some of the critics, they watch everything, right? But there are so many great movies out there that people don't talk about and i think unfortunately movies like saga su will will always slip through the cracks because hardly anyone really talks about them but i'm glad it's i'm glad we're talking about it and i'm glad dead streams are being talked about as far as top fives go well my number two here is also a directorial debut for a full-length feature this is the second best film experience i had in a theater this year it is barbarian Listen, AJ, I gotta tell you, there's no new money coming in. I can sell the Michigan properties. Some of those make money, right? You're gonna have to make some tough choices. Property management. Hey, yeah, Bonnie, it's AJ. I'm in Detroit and I'm here to do some liquidating. Is someone staying here at the moment? I don't think so. Well, someone's here. There's a suitcase and clothes. Do I have squatters? Have a nice day. Hello? This woman named Tess, played by Georgina Campbell, arrives to an Airbnb in a real bad suburb of Detroit, one of those neighborhoods you're scared to leave the car in. And uh, she gets to the door, and it's locked, and the key's not in the lockbox. And sh- and then, you know, she's rummaging around on the porch trying to figure out what's going on. She can't get into this Airbnb, and then somebody opens the door. It's Bill Skarsgård, uh, a guy named Keith, and she finds out that they've double booked on this yeah. thing. So he's already there for the night, and because it's raining, because it's really late at night, a terrible neighborhood, they decide to cohabitate the property until they can get things figured out. And then uh, the next day, he goes to do what he needs to do, and Tess finds something in the basement that is, uh, well, you, you need to see it to believe it. 30 minutes in, the film takes a hard switch in uh, tone and scenery. And I said this in my original review, if you left to go to the bathroom and then came back in, you would walk back out and check the marquee to make sure you didn't walk into the wrong theater. That's amazing. It's yeah, it's a jarring switch. Uh, and then we get to spend some time with this guy who's a TV showrunner named AJ, played by Justin Long. I love this movie. It is perfectly cast, especially the Bill Skarsgård role, because it uses the characters that we're used to, to him playing uh, to subvert and psych you out as the viewer. 
And I think the movie also has a lot to say about how men and women are forced to approach situations that are the same in completely different ways. I know that people had issues with this movie, specifically with the mid-film switches. There's, and there's actually kind of more like two, because another one takes us back into the past. Wow. That um, complete with different aspect ratio and everything. Even that stuff really worked for me. I love this movie so much. I had a great time in the theater. It's one of those rare experiences where uh, I went with my best friend and we're just looking at each other every 20 minutes like, holy shit, can you believe this is happening? <laughs> and uh, I, yeah, I can't get enough of Barbarian. Watched it twice. Jason, you're a writer. So with you being a writer, do you think you were able to, I know you're a movie fan first, right? But were you able to really appreciate all of those switches or whatnot? Do you, it's one of those things where you admire the the craft of that, the screenwriting in this as well, maybe? <laughs> yeah. Well, Zach Kreger, who is from The Whitest Kids You Know, he's mainly a comedic writer. Well, he had been a comedic writer. And one of the things that I think stands out about writing like this is that you got to wonder who took a chance on this because I've written some stuff that kind of bends genres and the main concern is that it bends genres like it doesn't know what it wants to be those are really tough to sell and I think that's where this one really impresses me and I also think that we have this influx of people who start in comedy and then make amazing horror and I think that's really cool to see. We saw it with Jordan Peele, and now we're seeing it with Zach Kreger. And uh, it, it really makes me excited for what's coming next. Donald Glover's got a horror movie coming out this year that I'm really excited about. So we'll see. And look, Barbarian, it's going, obviously, it's been a, a big box office hit, but you don't need to actually love horror films to really appreciate Barbarian, right? It's, does, it, it, does it have mass appeal, like broad appeal as far as tastes go? Uh, no, probably not. This is this is for the horror fans, especially mm. the. Geez, I don't even want to say like what the horror is. Gotcha. If you're Thank a, you. if you're a horror fan, you're gonna get more out of it. This is something that I definitely would not show someone like my wife, who's not a horror fan at all. Right. You. you she will not appreciate a screening of Barbarian. I'm, I'm assuming, <laughs> right. No, she probably would have ducked out of the room 10 minutes in. You know, it's it's one of these things, and this is I'm sure this is very inside baseball for a lot of, well, maybe not for your listeners. You and I, we have, every week, we have movies we have to see, and I mean have to in a very positive light, because we're assigned <laughs> to them, right? Unfortunately, I'm not as good as you when it comes to watching movies I really want to see, as opposed to movies I need to see for work, right? Mm-hmm. So... I think um, I think Barbarian's going to be right up there with with Deadstream as far as movies I really need to see ASAP. If you have HBO Max, I think this one's still streaming on HBO Max. I have every streaming service, and I am paying <laughs> too much money for them, so I will just check it out. <laughs> check it out on HBO Max. My, I guess you want to go with the number one. Yeah, let's get to the grand finale here. I'm I'm wondering if we're gonna. I, I doubt we're gonna match up. All right, what do you have? Absolutely not. This one is only 73 minutes and it is called Petite Maman and it's directed by and penned by Celine Siama. Celine Siama is the filmmaker behind Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which I absolutely was blown away by. This movie, Petite Maman, for some reason, it just, I actually recorded a review of it on the podcast with Bruce and Eric and I was pretty much emotionally broken down just even trying to think about this movie the premise of a young girl who 
loses her grandmother and she's goes to the grandmother's house along with her mother and father to clean up the house and move forward and then what happens is she on a day going out going outdoors with leaves and trees all around her she sees another young girl playing around and she starts playing with the girl and the rest of the movie deals with their friendship and there's there's a really interesting cosmic connection that she might have with that stranger she meets along the way so i don't know at 73 minutes people are thinking this might be a little bit of a trifle of a movie but i don't know i've seen this movie three times and it still gets me i just the music the the acting, the simplicity of the story, but there's a undercurrent of complexity. And yeah, I, I just really love what, what it has to say about moving on, but also keeping a part of your past as well. So I, I really love Petite Maman, and I just thought it was a very, it struck me on a very emotional um, and personal chord. So the, the last, my number one was sort of a straight from the guts and heart pick. I heard you talk about this on the show. I figured it would pop up somewhere on your list. I didn't know it was going to be number one. That's awesome. Uh, I don't know if you saw the announcement, but Criterion is going to be releasing this film on Blu-ray pretty soon. I'm so excited for that. Yeah, I, I do have Portrait as well. So yeah, I'm definitely going to pick it up. I don't care how much it costs. So you, you haven't gotten to it yet, right? I think it's on streaming on Hulu as we speak. So I have I have not seen it yet. And one of the selling points for me is going to be that 73 minutes. I know that some people, like you said, uh, 73 minutes might seem short for a movie, but yeah. in this streaming age that we're in, I think more movies need to be shorter. I don't think we need to struggle to strive for 90 minutes anymore. And we see so many movies that are like two and a half hours long. You know what? Give me a 73 minute movie that's amazing. And you can watch it three times in the same amount of time it'll take you to watch Babylon once. Right. And oh, I'm surprised. I haven't I have not seen Babylon. It's I I've heard a lot of things about it. It did not make my top 5. Here's one one good thing about Petite Maman. You can definitely watch it with your wife over Barbarian. So <laughs> that, that should be good. Well, that's a selling point for sure. <laughs> uh well, speaking of very long movies. My number 1 is a very long movie. It's a movie, though, that you will pay for the whole seat and only use the edge. You mentioned it earlier. It was your favorite experience in the theaters in 2022. It's also my favorite experience in the theaters in 2022. Of course, that's Top Gun Maverick. Wow. I, I Can I clap? I, I don't know if it, your audio. So I'm going to just do a clap here right now. That's amazing. Directed by Joseph Kaczynski. I knew right away after I saw this movie the first time it, that probably nothing was going to top it for the year. This is... After after all this hype and my love for Tom Cruise and the stuff he's done with Mission Impossible, I had some reservations because I don't love Top Gun as a movie. I, I like Top Gun, but I, I didn't love it. And it's like, well, what can they do with a sequel? But this is everything that I want out of a movie. And it's something that we rarely see in legacy sequels. First off, it has this allegory for in what is, in my opinion, the last true movie star we have in Tom Cruise. Yes. In the movie, there's this constant threat that the era of actual pilots flying planes is dead with the emergence of drones and these remote piloted technology. And I took that as what you see in film, like CGI taking the place of practical effects and stunts. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen the stuff with deep fakes that you can do. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's incredible. Who knows how far that stuff's going to go? 
But there's obviously a difference when you watch some CGI-filled blockbuster versus something that's real. And this felt real. Like when you're in that cockpit, it feels real. You can see the speed on those people's faces as they go through the air. And you you can't get that if you're doing the CGI stuff. So that's just one of the things I loved about it. It has a great large cast of side characters, but everybody is fantastic. I thought at first, I'm like, oh God, I'm going to hate these recruits because the story is about Maverick and he's, <laughs> right. he's uh, you know, he's got to go teach the new Top Gun recruits to take on a mission that demands the ultimate sacrifice. So he goes in there and I'm like, God, these recruits, they're going to be annoying. I fell in love with all of them, even the one that's like supposed to be the douchey character. Uh, and Miles Teller as Rooster is a dead ringer for Goose, who would be his right. dad in that movie. And his relationship with Maverick is something that's really, really special. I, I did not have a better experience at the movies this year. Uh, this is one of those films where you will probably laugh, you will probably cry, and you will walk out just feeling powerful. And uh, I can't get enough of Top Gun Maverick. The sound design in this Holy shit, like there's a scene at the beginning where Tom Cruise does a flyby um, and it blew the roof off the theater that I was in. It was it was just fantastic. And it never lets up. I mean, even the Val Kilmer callback was beautiful, beautifully done. God, yeah, that was a heartbreaking scene, but so good. I'm just sitting there. My wife had had not seen the first Top Gun when we watched it in theaters. So she's like who's this character? And I'm just like sitting there blubbering in tears. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh. He's, he's so good. I, no, there's so many good things. It could have gone south so many different ways as a straight up, if it was some sort of a resurrection of the eighties, but it, it doesn't do that. It, it actually is its own movie. And I feel like it's a really well done job. I, I was saying it's Kaczynski doing his best. Tony Scott, impersonation or impression but in, in fairness to Kaczynski he's an accomplished filmmaker and I think he puts a stamp on this and it's a really well done film and it was a top 10 for me easily well we got our we got our five on the board and we only matched up on one just like we thought we would uh let's just recap our fives real quick I had the menu at number five Deadstream at number four everything everywhere all at once at number three barbarian at number two and top gun maverick at number one Okay, so for my top five, at five, I have Holy Spider. At number four, I have Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Number three, Decision to Leave. Number two, Sagasu, a.k.a. Missing. And number one, Petite Maman. Now, there were probably some honorable mentions that did not get mentioned here. Are there any films, real quick, that you want to shout out that could have made your list if we did a top ten? I'm trying to think. I would say probably, again, going back to that, it's Top Gun Maverick would be the -hmm. big one. And there's this movie called Brothers Keeper, which was, it's a, I believe, a Turkish film. It was released in 2021, not stateside, but it was released here stateside back in 2022. And it's just an interesting drama about a kid who is injured and, and close to death due to unforeseen situations. And... What happens? How does it affect the students and the teachers within this school? And there's a little bit snowed in. There's troubles with the car. It's a very tense movie, but it's a really well done 
finely tuned and etched film. And again, it goes back to Sagasu. It's a film that will that probably no one or very few people will ever hear about. But the fact that I was able to actually check it out when it hit here stateside, it's I definitely want to talk about it. So it's just one of those movies that I think is highly underrated. It's called Brothers Keeper. Brothers Keeper. All right. I had not heard of that one before. Yeah. Let me look. It is directed and co-written by Ferit Karahan. So it is, yeah, it is a boarding school set, snowbound film, and it's fantastic. It By the end, you're really tensed up at, at like what's going to happen to these children. Yeah. Very good stuff. Okay, cool. Um, I had some honorable mentions I wanted to throw out there. I was, I was so close to putting The Sea Beast in my top five which is an animated film that came out on Netflix. Have you seen The Sea Beast? That's so funny. I Netflix sent me a little mini poster of The Sea Beast. And <laughs> when I'm not doing stupid YouTube overlays, I'm, I'm doing YouTube videos and I have The Sea Beast along the wall just so we could actually hide the markings on my wall. So <laughs> I, I do know The Sea Beast as a way to close off, uh, off some of the dirtier parts of my room. So, But I've heard great things about it, The Sea Beast. You have a younger niece, right? Yes, yes. She's six years old. Yeah. I don't think she's seen it yet. This is a great movie to watch with her. It's uh, oh. It's got a great message. The animation is amazing. The action scenes are amazing. This deserves to win Best Animated Feature this year. It probably won't win Best Animated Feature, but in my opinion, it was the Best Animated Feature of the year. And I saw plenty of them because my four-year-old loves them. The Sea Beast, <laughs> though, is the best one I watch with them by far. What's the most? What's the one movie you've had to see the most within the past year as far as animated films? Turning Red, for sure. Yes, Turning Red. <laughs> yeah, Turning I, Red. and I like Turning Red, but it had it just does not hold a candle to the Sea Beast. I love the Sea Beast. Really? Okay. Also on my honorable mentions, I had X. X had been on my top five for a very long time. X is the uh, Ty West right. horror film. Glass Onion, a a Knives Out story or Knives Out mystery, however it's said. See, that movie gets a a lot of praise and I liked it too. I just think it's really great, grade A entertainment. So I I just have a good time with those movies. Yeah, it was really good. Speaking of good times, Prey almost made my list. Had a great time with Prey. What a surprise that was, the uh, Predator prequel. Right. And you were talking about movies being 73 minutes. This movie just felt like a lean thriller, action thriller, which I love. Yep. Yeah, super good. And then um, another lean movie, Christmas Bloody Christmas. I don't know if you got to see this one during the holidays about the android Santa that goes crazy. That's a movie that needs a lot more attention. And I hope every year there's more of a groundswell of support behind this film. Yeah, I think for some people that's going to be an every year watch, much much like uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night is for a lot of people from the 80s. I think this will be that for people that were discovering it this year. And then um, one other one I wanted to shout out is the Disney Plus short film. I say short. It's like 45 minutes long. It's uh, Werewolf by Night, which I thought was really great. What made that special? Because I've heard really great things about that. Well, a couple things. Number one, uh, it's shot in black and white and has a very hammer horror slash universal monster gothic feel to it, which I think is great. And then uh, it is also surprisingly violent for something that would show up on Disney+. Plus. I was surprised at how far they went in some of the scenes, like uh, limb getting cut off, somebody getting shot with an arrow through the chin. Like, There's some hardcore stuff in there that's going to satisfy the horror fans, but it's still not 
as bloody or violent that you wouldn't show somebody that was like, you know, 11 or 12 years old. I definitely need to see that. As far as honorable mention on my part, I just want to also cap this off with by saying I'm a huge fan of the Akira Kurosawa film Ikiru, but mm-hmm. its remake, which is Living, and it's obviously it has its share of awards, momentum, and you know, it's nominated for two Oscars and whatnot. So people will be seeing this movie. But that said, I think this is a movie that people should definitely see. If you want, we're talking about movies like Petite Maman, or I think you you mentioned, I think, I'm assuming there's something really cool about the Sea Beast as far as learning or life lessons or whatever. But this living has some really great insights on how to live one's life. And if you have seen Ikiru by Akira Kurosawa, I believe this is an excellent remake. Our buddy Bruce Perky did not feel the same way. He gave it a very <laughs> middling review. <laughs> you know how Bruce can be very exacting. I absolutely love this. I, instead of being set in Japan, it's set around 1950s London. So production design is very good. The acting by Bill Nye as a guy who realizes, who learns he's dying, and, he's, and he decides to actually start living. So very, very beautiful movie. All right. So uh, we got some more recommendations there. Greg. Yes. You ready to get into our superlatives here? Some of these extra categories. Definitely. Let's go for it. All right. So our first category here is is a side one because for some reason, you know, at, at awards shows, comedy movies don't often make top five lists. So I thought we'd do our best comedy. So what was your favorite comedy film this year? Look, I, I just started with, by saying this the show with everything everywhere all at once could be considered a comedy. So if it was considered a comedy, there's so many great things. <laughs> you mentioned Glass Onion. That's obviously another obvious choice because there's it didn't make me laugh. It wasn't laugh out loud funny for me, but the entire tone of the movie of privileged people and hangers on getting their gradual comeuppance, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all about that. So I like that. But I guess selfishly my pick for best comedy because I thought this movie would be I thought it would be great. I thought a lot of people would watch it, but I was wrong. The Leslie Manville headlined Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris about a woman who just wants to go to Paris to to buy her that ultimate, I think it was the Chanel dress or something like that. It was just a, a really nice, beautiful confection of a movie that I feel I... I discredit myself right now because I think I should have the Blu-ray or 4K, whatever. It's just a movie that absolutely appealed to me on so many levels. I'm sure a lot of people are going to go the other way with Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris and say, it's oh, it's predictable, it's too fluffy. But I think there's a lot more meat to the bone than what people might think. So Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, it's funny, it's light, it's, it's a trifle, but it is it felt like a full meal to me. All right, Mrs. Harris goes to Paris. I have not seen that one. I'll uh, make sure to give that a shot. Sounds like one I can watch with my wife as well. 100%. 100%. All right, my favorite comedy of this year. Like you said, there were a couple that could have made it in there. I could have argued for the menu or everything everywhere all at once. Glass Onion, of course. But my favorite comedy, the one I laughed the most during, was Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers. Good choice. I love that. Yeah, it was put on Disney+. Plus. I had such a great time with this a stunning voice cast with a ton of in-person and really funny animated cameos that i loved uh it barely missed my top five chip and dale like they're not characters that i was uh attached to as a kid so when this popped up it's like well i like the people behind it i like um 
you know, I like the Lonely Island guys, and they had a lot to do with this. Andy Samberg has a role in this, and uh, I just had an absolute blast with this movie. If you're into animation at all, if you're into Who Framed Roger Rabbit, if you're into any of the old Chippendale stuff, this is a, a great, just really funny movie. Yeah, I, I remember watching a couple of times with my, my niece, and we had such a great time. And a lot of inside jokes, especially if you're a pop culture enthusiast. So it's really good. It it's mer- it merits repeated viewings. So yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's got it's it's one of those movies where there's comedy for the kids, but there's also comedy they're not going to get for the adults, which is really the best kind of comedy to to watch if you're watching with uh, your kid or your niece. You know. Yeah. All right, Greg. Best documentary that you saw in 2022? Hands down, my favorite documentary, my best documentary from what I've seen. I, To be honest, I should have seen a lot more documentaries last year. I'm going to make a point to actually watch a ton more this year. But that said, my pick is Bad Axe. April 17, 1975, when everything changed in Cambodia. My mom survived with six children, make our way Michigan. When we first came to Bad Axe and opened up a donut shop, we didn't exactly fit in. We live in a community that's 97% white. In a town with less than 4,000 residents, it's not easy making a living off of donuts. So eventually, we decided to change it into a restaurant. It felt like building the American dream. And our whole lives just changed, shut down. And Bad Axe, not A-C-T-S, Axe is an A-X-E. It centers on an Asian family. They're living in Michigan. And this is during, during, I guess, the peak of the pandemic, right? And they're trying to keep their local restaurant afloat. What happens? Like most restaurants, they're trying to keep afloat. They're, people can't dine in, right? So they're going to have to deliver. But it's not just about that. It's about them taking a stand politically regarding during the Trump era politics, they they are skewing a different way. And unfortunately, the way they they skew on a political level does not adhere to most of the members of their community. So there's a little bit of friction there. There may be some possible racist situations going on. And it what's interesting is it's directed by, I believe, let me look at his name, David Siv or Siv. And he is the son of the family. So it takes a very personal look at this family as they try to, they, as much as they love being Americans living in the Midwest, it also shows their trials and tribulations of just keeping their business okay, speaking up, trying to speak out as Americans, and also seeing where that can get them. Will that lead to their demise as a business? So very interesting stuff. And it is tense because you want them to do well. And you're very interested in them as a family. So bad acts. All right, I'm going to have to check that out. That sounds like a human story that would definitely appeal to me. All right, well, hopefully this next one doesn't appeal to many people. This is my uh, my documentary. Uh, it's not a happy story, for sure. It is called Girl in the Picture. Did you get to see this one? Oh, right, that was a tough one. In 2002, a friend sent me a photograph. It was a picture of a little girl, her father. The more you looked at the picture, and the more you looked at her, you could see something was terribly wrong. The only person that knew her real identity was her father. Franklin Floyd had been a fugitive for almost two decades. 
He robbed a bank. He had a history of violence. He was an expert and concealed his identity. He had a daughter, Sharon Marshall. She wanted to go to Georgia Tech, be an aerospace engineer. I remember the phone call, and she said she was pregnant, but Daddy won't let me go to college now. Real tough. This is about a young mother's mysterious death and her son's subsequent kidnapping that blow open a decades-long mystery about the woman's true identity and the murderous federal fugitive at the center of it all. This is a shocking, tough watch, but a great true crime doc. Uh, One of the top letterboxed reviews on the film is written by somebody named Abby, and she says, quote, a documentary where a side subject casually mentions she was also kidnapped for five years in the 70s, and it doesn't even make the top 10 jaw-dropping moments. Right. (laughs) End quote. This one has some twists and turns. Not a fun watch, but a very interesting and and gripping documentary. It's just engrossing from the minute you say from the minute for, from the first minute on i i was really intrigued by the entire yeah and it's i'm glad you didn't mention a lot a lot of the other details because it's really the discovery is is something else yeah, yeah. all right um let's get into some performances here your favorite male performance best male performance of 2022 well i decided to actually play it safe with this one this is my single up the middle right <laughs> baseball okay. terms yeah this is the obvious one brendan fraser and the whale Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's obviously some critics uh, criticism by his performance, maybe the fat suit and whatnot. I just thought it was a very inspired performance by Brendan Fraser. He, I, I hope he wins it. So I, I just, I don't know. The whale itself. There's, there's been critiques that some are putting it as one of the worst films of the year. Oh wow. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've seen it, Jason. But I have not yet. I have not. Yeah. The film is a bit. It's based, I believe, on a play, and it is very stagey and gets a little bit, gets melodramatic, but I was hook, line, and sinker with his performance and his overall tone. So very, I really loved Brendan Fraser's performance. Well, he's a, he seems like a great dude overall, so I'm happy that he was nominated. I am looking forward to seeing this. I just haven't had a chance yet. I don't think it's hit streaming. Maybe it just hit like video on demand streaming. That's another movie you can definitely see with the wife. All right, The Whale, uh, and that's Brendan Fraser's performance. Mine is uh, from a movie that I had in my top five. I think my favorite male performance of 2022, extremely overlooked at awards ceremonies this year, is Justin Long in The Barbarian. He gives such a great performance as somebody who, how do I even talk about it without spoiling it? It's a character that you don't expect to sympathize with and then you may start to sympathize with this person in a way that is kind of um misguided i'll say it that way he's also very very funny in it but he he plays the role that he is given so perfectly and i i said this after i wrote my review for it he should get consideration for a nomination for this performance because he is amazing and he's great in so many things and he's so overlooked for some reason. I think Justin Long is a terrific actor yes, and in is. Barbarian, it is a tour de force. Wow. I, this is the first time I've heard it. I, were you surprised that a lot of people did not even put him up as far as honorable mention or he, that he got buried and overlooked? Were you surprised? You know, no. even, Oh, wow. Okay. No, and I'm, I'm not surprised just because of the genre that, that it's in. All right. All right, best female performance. Yeah, for me, I, I I mentioned Holy Spider, lead actress Zara Amir Ibrahimi, and as a journalist, 
it's one of these things that I was, you're talking about Girl in the Picture as a documentary. I was gripped by her work. As soon as she enters the screen, eyes are trained on her and what she has to do as a journalist to catch the killer. So as far as I look, I was going to say Michelle Yeoh and she's very good and everything, everywhere, all at once. But for me, it was Zara Amir Ebrahimi. And not just because I feel Holy Spider should be seen by more people, just because her performance really blew me away. It's very intense, focused, and not to and no frills. So it's just you're really trained on her. And I, I can't wait to see more of her work. I hope they reach the level the levels of Holy Spider. All right, Holy Spider again. All right, I got I gotta I gotta check that out. Uh, my favorite female performance of 2022 is spread across two movies, and that is Mia Goth for her roles in both X, well, both of her roles in X and in Pearl. How is it you find our life so beneath you? You've always had a wolf over your head, food in your belly. Do you not think that came at great sacrifice from your father and I? Oh, do you think we are beneath you too? If I'm meant to live out the rest of my days with you and Daddy on this farm, then so be it. But I'm only young once. If I go to this audition and I don't get picked, then I'll come home and I'll never speak of it again, I swear. But I have to know that I tried or I'm going to regret it for the rest of my life. Please, Mama, you have no idea what I'm capable of. Oh, yes, I do. Pearl is the prequel to X. In X, Mia Goth plays two different characters. She plays a very old woman, and she plays a young aspiring porn star. In Pearl, she plays a young version of that old woman, and I think she is just absolutely fantastic. She's also got uh, the X sequel in production right now, so I'm really, I'm really looking forward to this trilogy of Ty West films that Mia Goth is making a name for herself in. I thought she was great. I've always wondered about this. Since I haven't seen either film, so can I, should I actually do the prequel first before? No, no, I wouldn't. I would still do X first. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. Okay. I think you're going to get more out of it watching X first. Because I thought about this too. It's like, oh, should I I watch Pearl and then X again? And and it's like, eh, not really. Because X, X, uh, yeah, watch X first. Watch X first. I liked X more. But Pearl is a better showcase for Mia Goth. Oh, very interesting. Yeah. Did Pearl get close to as maybe maybe a top 30 or top 20 for you? It probably would have been in my top 20. X would have been in my top 10. Wow. Amazing. Okay, good. Good. All right. We're going to bring things down for a second here. We're going to go with our worst five films of 2022. And uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this because, again, I don't like to I don't like to get negative, but I think it is kind of fun to, to look back at those films we didn't enjoy. So uh, just rattle off real quick your your five worst films of 2022. So as you know, I always do movies every week as far as review them. OK, so yeah. a lot of times I'm called four star Greg because I see, the, I see positives <laughs> in a lot star of movies. Banger. Yeah, four star bangers. So I see a lot of positives in movies. So when you th- see something like Saban Films or Lionsgate, which everyone is going to, you know what on, I end up maybe even doing a three star banger or enjoying those movies. So it's kind of like your taste too, Jason. You you like certain movies that pe- people will probably pick on. Okay, so I actually took it a different route for your for the worst five f- films of 2022. So I'm going to name, rattle them off. And it's because I was really disappointed in these movies as far as how they executed. 
The Gray Man, very quickly, The Gray Man, just because I was mm-hmm. looking mm-hmm. forward to this Ryan Gosling film. thought the Russo brothers are awesome, and it just ended up being a, a big nothing for me. Hold Me Tight, Vicky Creep's drama, which had a lot of multi-layered stuff, but it confused me, and I thought the critics loved it, but I, I just completely did not like it whatsoever. It was a big waste of time for me. You're going to be surprised about this one. As much as I love Sam Raimi, and I, I'm, a Mar- I'm a Marvel guy, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse... Mm-hmm. It was one of those movies where I go, this is a perfect Marvel film for me. And I ended, it felt like eating a, a like a great meal that has no MSG in it, it <laughs> or anything in it, no flavor. I was yeah. absolutely shocked. I And maybe- I'm with you there. Right? I And then when people would come out of that movie or tell me that, oh, I, I was mixed on that, I, I had to- you must be on something because I'm looking at this, the talent. You, you're probably wrong. And then I went in and then I ended up, the Twilight Zone, I ended up being exactly like those people I criticized. Okay. Also, you're going to be sadly disappointed by these last two things. 3,000 Years of Longing. I, oh, I George, haven't seen it yet. Oh, uh, George Miller. I, I was talking to Anderson and I gave this negative 3,000 stars. <laughs> everything about this movie it's it did not work for me it was it was a big drip of a movie okay and then finally you this is the big disappointment you and i both love walter hill mm-hmm. shout out to your extreme prejudice review on blu-ray De- <laughs> dead for a dollar i oh. it's not one of the worst films of the year but for a walter hill film walter hill and westerns is like look like me and cup of noodles we go we go hand in hand and he <laughs> just i think so many different took so many missteps with dead for a dollar i'm a huge western fan and when there are other westerns that i find vastly superior to dead for a dollar and it's a walter hill film yeah that that qualifies so i took a different way with this one but th- those would be my five my five are well. I got I got four different ones than you. Uh, the only one that we shared was Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness. And after yeah. the last Spider-Man film, I was even more hyped for this, oh. and I, I thought it was pretty bad. And the music note fight at the end of it was just kind of the cap on how bad I thought it was. Um, it was unfortunate. It was weird. Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> I also had Hocus Pocus two, which. <laughs> My wife is a big fan of the original Hocus Pocus. Right. I I am not a big fan of it, but I'll still watch it. And it's not something that I am begging it to end. You know, it's 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 fine. It's fine for what it is. But Hocus Pocus two, I thought was actively bad. Uh, and with all the talent that's in that movie, it's it was it was tough to watch that one. I also had Lightyear on my list, which all for right. Pixar, I think. This might have been one of those disappointment things where you, you know, Pixar has such a great library and you're not used to them putting out a movie that's mediocre. And I thought that Lightyear was pretty forgettable. And I also really disliked Taika Waititi's voice in this in this film. Um, so that was tough at uh, what am I at here? I also had Bodies, 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 oh, which, okay. yeah. You know, a lot of people really love, and I think that the end makes it a better movie than everything leading up to it, but I hated the characters so much that I really wanted to turn it off. And people say like, well, that's the point. You're supposed to hate these characters, and that's fine. But to watch a movie about people you hate and only people you hate for that long, it, it for me, it grates on me. Mm. 
Um, so those were all kind of disappointments. But the worst movie I saw in 2022 is not. Uh, it, it, w- it was both a disappointment, but it was also just an awful, awful movie. And that's Halloween Ends. Really? Yeah, this is by far the worst movie I saw all year. And I didn't like Halloween Kills, but I was thinking, okay, now they're going to end this series. They got to end it with a bang. And it ended with uh, just a wet fart. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that if that is a waste of time for someone like a David Gordon Green, who who is such a versatile filmmaker. He took it in a direction that nobody thought it was going to go. And if you're going to do that, that's fine if it's executed correctly. And this movie was not executed correctly. It was like, all right, we want to pass the torch from Michael Myers to this goofy kid named Corey. But at the same time, it doesn't pass the torch. It just felt like a movie bookended by Michael Myers. And none of the none of the film made sense. I mean, I... If you want my full thoughts on Halloween Ends, I have a full review on one of the shows already, but it is just an absolute disaster of a film for me. Yeah. Wow. What's your biggest disappointment of 2022? It's not a real movie thing. It's more of an overall big picture thing about anything. Yeah, the sure. big, my, my biggest disappointment would be The Gray Man because I've been waiting bait and breath, bait and breath just to see the movie. And when I saw it, it was just an empty experience for me. Yeah, I felt the same way. It's one of those things where it's I, it's kind of like the like Michael Clayton, at the end of Michael Clayton, where he, when he's saying, I'm not the guy you kill, you, you, I'm the guy you're supposed to pay. And so <laughs> I, I was ready for guilty pleasure, campy stuff, and it just felt predictable. So that would be my overall, quote unquote, biggest disappointment. But my biggest disappointment, as far as movie news goes, is the idea of just the how streaming services are pretty much bankrupting the average average person. And the fact that even with that, if let's just say you're putting so much money into all these different streamers, the fact that whether it's a TV series or a movie that you would, you would think that it's going to be on that streaming service for quite a while, they just will pull them off at, a, at any random notice. Meaning within the last year, I've realized the importance of just going back to physical media or at least at the very least, maybe... I'm hoping this quote-unquote cloud works just going into digital and downloading stuff yourself because we can never... 2022 was a year when I realized if you have something like HBO Max, you're not covered in the movie insurance game of life. You're not because there's so many things that will be taken away from you. And if you have 40 or 50 bucks, are you going to put that 40 or 50 bucks into a couple of streamers, two or three streamers? Or Jason, are you going to put it into uh, vinegar syndrome or something else and buy the movies you really want for posterity. So I was disappointed the fact that I've had to actually think about this within the last year regarding the, it's like you always felt the door was locked, but now if the door's open, anyone can come in and your house is not safe. No, that's a, a great disappointment. And if you ask me next year, uh, what my biggest disappointment would be, it, it might be, you know, Netflix locking down their their platform like the streaming thing is getting real dicey where now you can't share passwords and stuff but on the other hand like if you have two residences or you have a vacation home or whatever now you have to pay for two separate netflix accounts which is really dumb and you're right like a lot of these a lot of these things you can't even get on physical media um i just saw that so netflix i am canceling it on march 1st and I saw that Arrested Development is going to be leaving Netflix March 15th. 
wow. the first three seasons you can get on DVD. Like I have the first three seasons on DVD, but seasons four and five are Netflix exclusive. So I'm guessing that they're saying you just won't be able to find those anymore, which is <laughs> distressing. It's horrible. It's distressing and it's also infuriating, right? You're just <laughs> angered though at the whole thing. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, I know you cover a lot of physical media, and you love physical media. So it's now. I think I'm I'm on your I'm on your bandwagon now. I think I'm just going to start <laughs> buying a lot more discs. Uh, my my biggest disappointment was a a film, and it's not one that I disliked. Like it wasn't going to be on my worst five films of 2022, but it also was nowhere near my top ten of the year. And that was Jordan Peele's Nope, which there are mm. pieces of it that I really like. I think it has one of the most terrifying sequences of the year. I think the performances are really, really good. Uh, ultimately, I was just a little disappointed in the execution of everything and uh, it fell really flat for me. It was one of those movies where the parts are greater than its sum. And I'm still looking forward to what he does next. I think that the man is a great filmmaker, but Nope just did not work for me. And I was so hyped for Nope. I was so looking forward to it. And it just uh, it was a real letdown. Yeah, you know what's weird is sometimes when the parts are greater than the sum, I end up giving the movie a pretty good review. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to think of something like Brian De Palma's The Black Dahlia, which I think most people sure. in the world hate, but it's one of these things. Well, I, I tell people, hey, put on the Blu-ray or DVD or if it's streaming, turn down the volume, and Hitchcock was talking about the power of the moving image, right? <laughs> the, the idea of a great movie is you can just watch images and you can understand the follow the story. So that's how I feel about Black Dahlia. The, the parts are greater than the whole, the, the whole, the entire story execution was horrible, but I ended up really loving that movie. So with Nope, do you feel that it's one of these things where it fell flat for you and it fell flat for so many people, but it's so divisive. There are people who are putting it on their disappointment list and there are some people putting it on the top 10 list. Do you see the other end of it, the praise, why it's getting the praise? Uh, not really, to be honest. I mean, interesting. It's it's a beautiful movie and it's got great performances. And if that's enough to win you over, that's great. It's got some really memorable scenes. The monkey in the mm-hmm. beginning, you know, that's a really memorable scene. There's a uh, an abduction scene, I'll say, uh, at a rodeo event that is amazing. And it's a really great scene. But overall, if you look at the story and stuff, to me, it just, it really fell flat. And it's wow. okay if people overlook that. And maybe I just don't get Jordan Peele's stuff like a lot of people, because I also really disliked Us. I loved Get Out, but I really disliked Us. So maybe it's those people that really like Us as well, that really trying to champion Jordan Peele. And if they are, that's cool. That just didn't didn't work for me. Oh, I got to check. I haven't seen his last two movies, in, but... I'm about, what, four years behind on his stuff? And I'm definitely not <laughs> yeah. going to watch his production work on The Twilight Zone, but I did love Get Out. So it'll be interesting to see. What, is Us stronger, at least, than Nope, maybe? No, I, I think that Nope is a movie I liked more than Us. Us is okay. one that I really actively disliked. And Nope, mm-hmm. I I would probably watch Nope again. I would probably not watch Us again. Fair. Okay. But we've got our we've got our negativity out of the way, Greg. So we're going to be going back up here. We're we're heading towards the end here with the biggest surprise of the year. And this could be anything. Doesn't have to be a movie. Just your bis, your biggest surprise of 2022. I I am so sorry. 
Jason, because this is still a, a negative response to your category. <laughs> okay. All right, My cool. biggest surprise is that, look, before the Will Smith slap, there was a lot of buzz about emancipation being running away with the awards the following year. Will Smith was going to get his first ever Oscar, obviously, before the, pre, the pre-Richard hype, King Richard hype, right? A year later, Emancipation comes out. I, st- I haven't seen it. Fair enough. Okay, but got a lot of mixed reviews. Very, very little. Zero. I mean, Oscar buzz, what? So it's a movie that birthed and died on, I'm assuming, Apple TV, right? So yeah, I was really surprised at... I was expecting this whole critical accolade kind of situation, and it just it whiffed. So that was my big surprise of last year. Okay. Um, I've got two big surprise uh, categories here, and these are both positive. So now we're on the upswing. Now we're on the good, positivity good. swing. Yes. Um, my first is Orphan First Kill, which is a movie that I did not expect to love. I uh, did not see the first one, and I heard the second one gets real bonkers in the second half. So I, I tossed it on, and uh, Julia Stiles is the biggest surprise in this movie. This is a movie that, like, when you turn this movie on, it's like, we don't care if you're buying any of this. Just sit, strap in and have a great time. And uh, it delivered. Have you seen Orphan First Kill? I loved it. I loved everything <laughs> yeah. about it. And it's one of the, it's one of these things, I, I know there are a lot of people who gave it negative reviews. I just had a, I just had a ball watching this entire film. Yeah. A, lot of, yeah, a lot of people were nitpicking this movie, saying it's not as good as Orphan, et cetera, et cetera. And it's just, I I thought Julia Stiles was great. And what is it? Is, Isabel Furman, right? She's yeah. continues. <laughs> yeah. I, and look, those Paramount those Paramount movies that are coming out on what what however they're doing it within that Paramount Plus service or those little mini Paramount films, which are genre movies at a certain budget, I'm loving what they're doing within that kind of little Same. mini banner. So. And then the other big surprise I had was Clerks 3's third act. Have you seen Clerks 3? I know what happens in the third act. I have not seen Clerks 3 as of yet. Not It's not because I'm not a Kevin Smith fan. I I will biasly adore his movies. Have you seen like, you've seen the first Clerks, I'm guessing. Of course, yeah. Yeah, definitely saw the first Clerks. And I saw, all, I've seen all of the Clerks, but I do need to rewatch them all again. But I, I did see the first Clerks, yeah. So I said this in in my review of this, but I love the first Clerks. Like it is part, it's this movie that I kind of grew up with when I started becoming a movie fan and Clerks 2, I really didn't like, but I always had Clerks to come back to. And it's always felt like that, uh, that, that old friend, you know, you just like rekindle your relationship whenever you meet up. And it's like, you never had that time apart because you're just good friends. And that's how Clerks feels to me. And Clerks 3, uh, I tossed it on one day when my wife and kid were out of the house and it's like, all right, you know, I got this movie on Blu-ray. I I don't have high expectations, but let's just toss it on. We'll see what happens. And the first two thirds are like, yeah, it's, it's whatever. And then there's a moment that happens in the third act. And I promise you, Greg, I'm sitting there sobbing on the couch. Right. I did not expect to have tears in my eyes when I was watching a Clerks movie, but I was like, ugly crying at the end of this movie um mm. it is it is a really really great twist in that third act that i think uh you know if you're a fan of the clerks movies 
it will get you. If you're not a fan of the Clerks movies or you haven't seen the Clerks movies, you're probably not going to like this movie at all, and you probably won't get anything out of it. But because of my relationship with Kevin Smith and Clerks, uh, it, it really, really hit me. Overall, though, even with the third act, the first couple of acts, did did it make the first couple of acts better? The overall viewing experience, were you pleasantly surprised at how the movie worked well for you, I guess? Yeah, if you're a fan of the first Clerks, the the first two thirds will be something that you're going to identify with. Yeah. If you haven't seen the first Clerks or haven't seen it in a real long time or didn't like it, you're probably not even going to get to the third act. I'll say that. You'll probably turn it off far before that. Wow. Okay. Wow. I still have to see, I think it was, I don't, I, was Justin Long in that? I still have to see Tusk. So, oh, Tusk is something else. <laughs> that's the one movie I have to see of his. Yeah. Yeah. Justin Long is in uh, Clerks 3 as a real quick cameo character. He's, he's pretty funny in his little role. Oh, very cool. Very cool. Now, this, this is a category that I stole from the film spotting SVU guys. Mm. Uh, so RIP to that podcast, but they had a, a great show for a long time. And this is one of their categories that I always looked forward to. The movie that they didn't get. This is a movie that you think that critics got wrong. So you liked, but critics didn't like. Well, there's a movie that critics didn't like. And I think most of the living, breathing earthbound individuals didn't like but i loved <laughs> it's a winona Ryder film called gone in the night i think it's currently streaming on hulu our buddies bruce and eric also were i think eric kind of liked it bruce definitely did not like it and the premise is winona Ryder. she she's a weekend getaway with a boyfriend and played by john gallagher jr and they go to a weekend getaway somewhere out in the woods next day oh they meet a couple of young kids beautiful young couple and the next day her boyfriend is missing so the rest of the movie deals with her i guess i think it cuts to maybe a year or two later maybe a year later and she's still trying to figure out why her boyfriend left her so is did he leave her is he missing what happened to him because he was quote unquote gone in the night i felt that this movie was a very it was a first-rate thriller i really liked and dermot moroni also stars in it really well acted i don't see the absolute just the, the how it was um, it was pretty much beaten up by the by the press and a lot of people who saw it i, I enjoyed it and it was a, a starring role for a writer i'm a huge winona writer fan so i think it really worked for me all right that's gone in the night yeah i'm looking at it right now 46 percent on rotten tomatoes so people were not kind to this movie <laughs> yes only me. I was the only one who was kind to this film. <laughs> My, the movie that they didn't get is 57% on Rotten Tomatoes. I had a really, really great time with the movie called Day Shift. All right. It's a Netflix vampire movie starring Jamie Foxx. Have you seen this one? No, I, I just, I actually avoided it because of all the bad reviews. Yeah, I thought this was a whole lot of fun. I thought it was a, it had some great needle drop moments, great soundtrack. Uh, really interesting side characters. A lot of people I love in here, like Snoop Dogg and uh, Scott Adkins is in there for a minute. Oh, very cool. The whole world building of the vampires and the the way they move is really great. All the fight scenes are conducted with actors who are also like um, contortionists. So the way they like bend and stuff while they're fighting is amazing. I had a really great time with Day Shift and uh, I wish more people would, would give it a chance. All right, I should give I should give it a chance. It looks like a fun movie, but yeah, uh, it's one of these things where if the movie is entertainment is entertaining on a base level, 
a lot of critics will just jump on it just because they'll take some easy pot shots. I was entertained. All right, we got two categories left here. Second to last is the movie we didn't get. So this is a movie that critics loved and you didn't love, Greg. Well, I mentioned it already, but I'm going to say it right now. Hold Me Tight, starring one of my favorite actors in Vicky Creeps, Phantom Thread is my favorite PTA film. I love Vicky Creeps. I, I love Bergman Island. And I was so excited about Hold Me Tight. I looked at the Rotten Tomato score and it was really high. Currently right now, the tomato meter of the critics, there are, four, like I'm looking at 48 reviews, 85% from critics, okay? Mm. And the, the move, the Hold Me Tight, it centers on a woman played by Vicky Creeps and she supposedly leaves her family. I think she has a daughter and husband, maybe two daughters. Yeah, maybe a da- daughter and husband. She leaves them, she abandons them and you're following the story of a woman who is not a very responsible family member. She's not a responsible mother. That's what you're thinking. But then it becomes sort of a interesting mystery thriller kind of situation. You're wondering, did she leave the family or is something else going on? What I just described seems interesting. The execution of the movie is laborious and telegraphed and I said it before, it was a waste of time. As much as I love Vicky Creeps, I just thought this was so boring. Very bo- It was a slog. And by the time that it gets to the third act and you're supposed to feel something, I felt, I did feel something. I felt numb. I, numb, is, <laughs> numb should be considered a feeling, okay? I felt dead to the world. Now, here's the thing with Hold Me Tight on Rotten Tomatoes. The audience score is 45%. So oh, wow. this is... Another single, a safe single down the middle because this is an obvious movie that critics loved. But I am telling people, if you love Vicky Creeps, watch everything else first and then save the worst for last with, I'm assuming, Hold Me Tight. All right. Hold Me Tight. Uh, the movie that I didn't get, the critics loved, this one is probably going to get me the most flack on, on this episode here. Yeah. And it's Banshees of Inishirin. I've avoided that movie because of your of people's opinions that there is a huge groundswell of people who don't like this movie. Yeah, this is one that is nominated for Best Picture. It has a couple of people nominated for acting Oscars. I'm sure it's nominated for others. This is one that I had really high hopes for. And like you said with uh, Hold Me Tight, it's to me, I was very, very bored. And there are good performances in it. Like Colin Farrell has a, he's a really great character in this, but I found it very hard to get through. It took me three times to watch this, like, like three separate times, 30 minutes in, I was like, ah, I can't do this. And, and then I went back to it thinking maybe I was just in a different mood and, and watched a little bit more. And finally at one point I finished it off just because I felt like I had to. And, um, you know, it's just, I, I get the message that they're trying to say. I get the allegory about the the wars over there. It just to me, it, I did not connect. I thought it was so boring. Critics love it. 96% on Rotten Tomatoes. A lot of Oscar nominations here, but it was not for me. All right, one last category here for this year's F5 Best of 2022. We're going to talk about our best non 2022 film discovery of the year we both watch a lot of movies that don't come out in uh, in the year that we watch them so what was your biggest coolest uh non-2022 discovery this year 
Well, I don't want to actually get emotional like I did with Petite Maman, so I'm going to be as cold and calculating as I can with this pick. (laughs) (laughs) But there is, in our Cinematics Facebook group, Joseph Bridges, I think a couple of years ago, mentioned that I think his favorite film is Babette's Feast. Matt Stillman, our buddy Matt, he actually followed up with a review saying how much he enjoyed Babette's Feast. We also reviewed it, me, Bruce, and Eric, last year. And this 1987 film, I don't know if you've seen it yourself, but it's one of these movies that I will say is a must-see. You mentioned the menu as culinary. The culinary arts, I'm sure, is one of the many elements of the menu, but this has culinary arts is front and center, seemingly. So with Babette's Feast, it centers on this woman, French, French woman who decides to make a feast, a really elaborate feast for the people she works for. And that is the premise of Babette's Feast, but it has so many different layers to it about life and honor and sacrifice it's such a and it's fun it's a very fun movie and if you like watching meals getting prepared with passion this is the movie to watch so and it has one of my favorite lines in cinema it's just a simple line and i'm not going to say what its context is but when you realize what its context is context is it's amazing quote an artist is never poor and it's just a beautiful way how it ties into everything that Bebet's Feast is about. It's one of those movies that I think might be one of my all-time favorites. And as far as movies that I, I will force people to watch, it would be this film. It's, this is one of those type of movies. It's funny that you say that. Uh, one of the Patreon perks is that somebody gets to assign me a film. And one of our mutual friends, Peter Beta, sent me over his list of four films that I could choose from. And this was on that list. And I didn't wow. choose it because uh, Streets of Fire was an easier, like easier to find. But yeah. Babette's Feast was number two on that list. So uh, yeah, maybe I need to check this out. Definitely. I still haven't seen Streets of Fire too, so I'm, I'm I have to see that. <laughs> you and I should be ashamed because we're Walter Hill fans. So <laughs> I know, I know. My favorite discovery of 2022 that did not come out in 2022 is something that I I. I want to watch it right now again. It is from 2020. It's a movie called Spontaneous. Have you seen Spontaneous? Oh, okay. So without giving too much away, I've seen about 30% of that. I love Charlie mm-hmm. Plummer as an actor. Yep. I just, yeah, I am connected to him. He's a great, he's a great actor. I just, the reason why I haven't finished it is because I really know what happens throughout the rest of the movie. So it's one of those, I know it's great, but I'm eventually going to get to it. And I don't know if I want to actually finish it. But I'm sure you could have a great rebuttal because this is one. Of, this is a good movie for you. So Well, it's like what I learned when I watched Rocky for the first time this year, Greg. It's not about the ending. It's about the journey getting to the ending. That's fair. <laughs> if you, I said this during my initial review. If you had told me that I would start watching a movie about high schoolers whose heads randomly started exploding, that I would be in tears by the end of it, I'd have thought you were nuts. But this is a movie that touched me. It is an amazing romance between a character named Mara and another named Dylan, played by uh, Catherine Langford and Charlie Plummer. Catherine Langford, by the way, is uh, one of my new crushes because of this movie. She is just... She's got a, just such a great presence on screen. Oh, yeah. She's gorgeous. 
and Charlie Plummer too. Man, like I I didn't know who Charlie Plummer was before I watched this movie, and when it was over, it's like okay, I'm I'm a fan of this kid. He's great, great supporting cast, and just a, a movie that is so surprisingly sweet. But at the same time, there's a, a lot of stuff going on, but it's never like indulgently gory. Almost half of the gore happens off screen or where you can't see it. And it's it's even more affecting that way. It's got one of the more terrifying scenes I saw during the, I think it starts really like the last third of the film. But yeah, I loved Spontaneous. Yeah, I definitely need to finish it. And it's not a teen film, right, per se. It has so many other things. Yeah, a lot of layers to it. It has stuff with and maybe this is why it touched me so much. It also has to do with uh, some quarantine type of stuff yeah. and some uh, tricky science. There, there's a lot of stuff in here that people are going to relate to, I, I think, especially in 2023 now as we record this. Yeah. Okay. Well, so many things to see. You mentioned Charlie Plummer. Before we go, I just want to mention, if you haven't seen Charlie Plummer in this 2017 film called Lean on Pete. Oh, I have not. It's it's an eight. Well, I, I will I will actually bolster my my uh, my say my thing by saying it's an A twenty four release from two thousand seventeen. Oh, street cred. So, <laughs> yeah, definitely street cred. And it, look, it's Charlie Plummer, and it it centers on a a teenager who gets a summer job working for a horse trainer, and befriends the fading racehorse Lean on Pete. It is a movie. I think. I, 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 you know, ask anyone else in the Facebook group or your fellow, your your fellow cinephiles. They're gonna, I think, they're gonna say really good things about Lean on Pete. Lean on Pete. All right, I got a a whole list of things to to watch here coming out of this. Greg, I think you made your mark. I think we're gonna have to get you back next year. Sorry. Well, I have a better idea. I maybe I should be become part of your Patreon and send you that list. Well, I don't know. It's one of those <laughs> things. Yeah, you're, you're gonna have to send me some things to watch. Um, Greg, before we get you out of here, let's get your plugs in. I'm going to have links to everything Greg Sersavasti in the show notes, but where should people go to see more of your work? Oh, uh, look, there's, I'm just so spread out right now when it comes to channels and podcasts, I am all over the place. So I would say probably just check us out, uh, check out findyourfilms.com, findyourfilms.com. That's where I plan to do movie writing just actually real movie reviews on a website i'm gonna house the cinematic stuff the find your film stuff a lot of favorite movie stuff and just i want to actually grow that website very well so findyourfilms.com findyourfilms.com and uh you'll be able to find all links to greg's twitter and the cinematics twitter and and a, a link to listen to cinematics in the show notes so just do all that stuff because as you can tell greg sees a ton of movies and uh and he's great on the mic I was honored to be part of this. Thank you so much. Always call on me when, if I am your last option, I will be <laughs> happy, more than happy to fill in. So you've got me whenever you want me, man. Executive producers on this episode include Peter Beta from the Middle Class Film Class, Musa Mahmood, Rupert Bumblestein, Ryan Goland of the New World Pictures Podcast, and Carlos Mota. Thank you so much for all of your support. If you want to be a producer on the show, head to Force Five's Patreon at patreon.com backslash force five can't spare some extra dough per month no problem you can still support by taking a couple minutes to review force five wherever you get your podcasts today's bumpers come from daydream studios and the top five list bumper was produced by me with music by audio binger until next time stay safe stay sane and go watch one of the many movies from 2022 that we mentioned during this episode but don't watch halloween ends never watch halloween ends